Chapter Thirty Four of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Thirty Four. Loyal. Bell was startled at the pallor of Lottie's face as she entered the room, and rose hastily to offer assistance. But Lottie motioned her away. Without a word, she threw herself upon the bed and signified her grief and despair by an act as old as the oldest records of humanity. She turned her face to the wall. Bell knew that Mrs. Marchmont had spoken plainly, and she had seen Hemstead drive away. She expected Lottie to come to her room in a towering passion, and was prepared to weather the storm in cynical endurance assured that her friend would eventually thank her for having had a hand in breaking up the whole absurd thing but when lottie entered with the expression of one who had received a mortal wound when in silence and despair she had turned her face from all the world as if there were nothing left in it for which she cared the nervous young lady began to fear that this affair might not pass away like an ordinary mood she reasoned and remonstrated but Lottie did not heed, and scarcely heard her. Then she went to Mrs. Marchmont, and disturbed even that lady's complacency by her account of Lottie's appearance and manner. But with approving consciences, they both said, it was time something was done. The dinner hour came, but Lottie silently shook her head to all urging to come down. It was the same at supper, entreaty remonstrance the assumption of hurt and injured tones were alike unavailing she lay motionless like one stunned and under partial paralysis mrs marchmont lost her complacency utterly and mr dimmerly proved but a job's comforter as he snarled you have stopped it with a vengeance it's always the way when people meddle nervous bell was in a perfect tremor of anxiety perplexity and weak remorse and she kept flitting in and out of the room as pale and restless as a disquieted ghost de forest thought he ought to be chief mourner but no one seemed to pay much attention to him as for lottie one ever-present thought seemed scorching her brain and withering heart and hope he thinks me false false in everything false in every glance and word to him false even when i spoke of sacred things and he will despise me forever little wonder that she was so drearily apathetic to all that could be said or done to rouse her the fall from the pinnacle of her religious hope and earthly happiness was too far and great to permit speedy recovery at last she rose and mechanically disrobed for the night but no sleep blessed her eyes for on every side she saw in flaming letters the word false with increasing vividness her fancy portrayed a pale stern averted face the next morning she was really ill and her aunt in alarm was about sending for the physician but lottie prevented her by saying somewhat coldly what drug has the doctor for my trouble if you really wish me to get better give bell another room and leave me to myself i must fight this battle out alone now lottie how can you take a little thing so greatly to heart is it a little thing that the one whom i most honor and respect in all the world regards me as a false coquette you surely cannot apply such language to my nephew 
i do and on the best grounds if i am young i am somewhat capable of judging he is not the first man i have seen you do not know and have never appreciated mr hemstead but lottie compare your station and prospects with his there is scarcely any one with whom i would not exchange prospects i am sick of society's artificial distinctions in which true worth and manhood all that heaven cares for count for nothing what does mr hemstead care about my wealth name and position in new york he looks at me and you or rather my own senseless folly have made me appear a weak false thing that from the very laws of his being he cannot help despising but it was cruelly hard in you and bell when you saw that i was trying to be a different a better girl to show him only what i was and give me no chance to explain he will never trust never look at me again and for the first time the unhappy girl burst into a passion of tears and sobbed so long and violently that mrs marchmont had a distressing consciousness that her worldly wisdom was not equal to this case at all she would have telegraphed hemstead to return if she had known where to address him she was often tempted to write to lottie's mother but dreaded the reproaches of mrs marsden for permitting matters to reach such a crisis before stopping them and so in anxiety and perplexity the day dragged slowly on until at last lottie wearied out fell into the heavy sleep of utter exhaustion from which she did not wake till the following morning but the respite from that most depressing of all suffering mental trouble had given her a chance and her healthy nature began to recover she was a girl of too much force and character to succumb long to any misfortune and as she said to her aunt she meant to fight this battle out to some kind of solution to the surprise of every one she appeared at the breakfast-table very pale but quiet and perfectly self-possessed her bearing however had a dignity and a decision which would make even mrs marchmont hesitate before she meddled again de forest was half afraid of her and began to realize that she was not the girl he had brought to the country but a few weeks since after breakfast she dismissed bell by saying plainly that she wished to be alone and then sat down and for the first time tried to clearly understand the situation it grew more and more evident how desperately against her were appearances she had been false at first and in a certain sense must appear false to the last in that she had not told him the truth besides just when and how the girl had become in earnest she could not remember the poor girl was greatly discouraged and again gave way to tears as if her heart would break but in the midst of her sore trouble like a flash of genial light came the thought if mr hemstead will never look at me again there is one who will and having found a bible turned again to its shortest text remembering with a quick sob how she had first discovered it with almost the distinctness and reality of actual presence there rose up before her mind one who with bowed head wept with men for men every tear of sympathy appeared to fall on her bruised heart and hope that she believed dead began to revive she just clung to one simple thought he feels sorry for me and it comforted her then she began to turn the leaves back and forth to find places where jesus showed kindness and forgave 
and she soon found that this was his life, his work in which he never wearied, kindness to all, forgiveness for all. Then the thought stole into her heart, like the dove bringing the olive leaf from across a dreary waste. If Mr. Hemstead is like his master, he will forgive me. Now hope grew strong and steadily, and the impulsive, demonstrative girl kissed the little book, pressed it to her heart, and caressed it as if it were a thing of life. She got out her portfolio and wrote, Mr. Hemstead, I sincerely ask your forgiveness for my folly, which you cannot condemn as severely as I do, though unworthy, indeed, of your friendship and esteem. Can you believe that I am not now the weak, wicked creature that I was when we first met? But I have not the courage to plead my own cause. I know that both facts and appearances are against me. I can only ask you, who told his disciples to forgive each other seventy times seven? Yours, in sorrow and regret, Lottie Marsden. I have now done the best I can, she said. The issue is in God's hands. At the dinner-table she again perplexed the mystified household. They, in their narrow worldliness, had no key to such a problem as Lottie Marston had become. She was gentleness itself. The mystic tears falling from divine eyes had melted away all coldness and hardness, and the touch of her words and manner, if we may so speak, had in it a kindliness and a regard for others to which even the most callous respond. Patient self-forgetfulness is the most godlike and the most winning of all the graces. After dinner Mr. Dimmerly shuffled away by himself with a sound between a sniffle and his old chuckle, muttering, I don't believe it's stopped after all. Anyway, I wish you were going to be a home missionary in my home. Lottie went with Dan again to the pond, and then to the fallen tree but she found no other tryst there than memories that in view of what had happened were very painful after her return she no longer shunned the others but sat down and talked quietly with them as multitudes of men and women are doing daily giving no sign that in the meantime they are patiently watching at the sepulchre of a buried hope which may or may not rise again as with Lottie at first, so with Hemstead, the word false seemed to have the malignant power to quench hope and happiness. If it is faith that saves, it would seem that it is the opposite, distrust, that most quickly destroys. In no way can we deal more fatal and ruinous blows than to deceive those who trust us. And Hemstead felt at first that he had been deceived and trifled with in all that was sacred. For hours both faith and reason reeled in passion, that grew and raged in the strong man's breast like a tropical storm. He plunged into the streets, crowded with his unknowing, uncaring fellow-creatures. As he would lose himself in the depths of a lonely forest and walk hour after hour, he knew not and cared not whither. Two thoughts pursued him like goading phantoms. She was false. He was deceived. At last, when the frenzy left him, weak and exhausted, he found himself near a large hotel, and he went in and slept almost as the dead sleep. In his case also, sleep proved nature's sweet restorer. In the morning faith and reason sat together on their throne, and he recognized his duty to act the part of a man and a Christian, whatever the truth might be. 
he sat down at last and calmly tried to disentangle the web second thoughts brought wiser judgment for after going over every day and hour of his acquaintance with lottie he could scarcely resist the conclusion that if she had begun in falsehood she was ending in truth if she in all her words and manner had been only acting he could never trust his senses again or be able to distinguish between the hollow and the real hour after hour he sat and thought he held a solemn assize within his own breast and marshalled all he could remember as witnesses for and against her much in her conduct that at first had puzzled him now grew clear in view of her purpose to victimize him and even as late as christmas eve he remembered how her use of the word comedy had jarred unpleasantly upon his ear but on the other hand there seemed even more conclusive evidence that she had gradually grown sincere and come to mean all she said and did could the color that came and went like light from an inner flame could tears that seemed to come from more her heart than from her eyes could words that had sounded so true and womanly and that had often dwelt on the most sacred themes be only simulated if so he groaned then there are only two in the wide universe that i can ever trust god and mother moreover in her trial lottie had an eloquent advocate to whom even deliberate reason appeared only too ready to lend an attentive ear the student's heart therefore she finally received a better vindication than the scotch verdict not proven and the young man began to condemn himself bitterly for having left so hastily and before lottie had time to explain and defend herself his first impulse was to go back at once and give her another hearing but almost before he was aware he found a new culprit brought to the bar for judgment himself if the trial just completed had failed to prove lottie's guilt it had most conclusively shown him his love he saw how it had developed while he was blind to its existence he saw that his wild agony of the preceding day was not over falsehood and deception in the abstract but over the supposed falsehood of a woman whom he had come to love as his own soul and even now he was exulting in the hope that she might have passed as unconsciously as himself into like sweet thraldom in the belief of her truthfulness how else could he interpret her glances tones actions and even plainly spoken words but the flame of hope that had burned higher and brighter gradually sank again as he recalled his aunt's words how is all this sentiment to end in only sentiment he remembered his chosen calling could he ask this child of luxury to go with him to the far west and share his life of toilsome privation he had long felt that the work of a missionary was his vocation she had never had any such feeling he recalled her words spoken but yesterday it seemed do you imagine that any nice girl will go out with you among the border ruffians that is the way it appeared to her then if such a thing were possible that she had become attached to him would it not be an unfair and almost a mean thing to take advantage of her affection and by means of it commit her to a life for which she was unfitted and which might become almost a martyrdom the change from her luxurious home to frontier life would be too great if she had felt called of god to such a work 
if she had laid herself as a sacrifice upon the divine altar that would be very different for the master would give no task without imparting strength and patience for its fulfilment besides he had heaven to give in return but frank hemstead's unselfish manhood told him plainly that he had no right to ask any such sacrifice incidentally lottie had mentioned the number of her residence and he hastily went up fifth avenue and saw her palace of a home every stone in the stately abode seemed part of the barrier between them an elegant carriage with liveried coachman and footman came around to the entrance and a lady who had lottie's features except that they had grown rigid with pride and age entered it and was driven away as he saw her stately bearing and the pomp and show of her life he could almost believe his aunt that this proud woman of the world would rather bury the daughter of whom she expected so much than marry her to an obscure home missionary his heart grew heavy as lead and he groaned even if she loves me i have lost her then came the supreme temptation of his life why must he be a home missionary who was there to compel such a sacrifice of himself he might come to this city and win a place as high as hers as many poorer and more friendless than himself had done he might even seek some well-situated eastern church he might aim to be one of the great popular preachers of the day and so be able to come to the door of that proud home and ask what it would be no condescension to grant again he was out in the storm again he was in the thick of the battle passionate longings and love on one hand stern steady conscience on the other in painful preoccupation he again walked unknown distances his aimless steps took him away from the mansions of the rich down among the abodes of the poor as he was crossing a street his troubled eyes rested upon a plain cross over a lowly chapel door he stopped before it like a superstitious romanist not reverencing the emblem however but in vivid remembrance of him who suffered thereon he recalled his self-sacrifice and his words whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple he bowed his head a moment then turned quietly and went back to his hotel the conflict was over the temptation passed and he was loyal end of chapter thirty four